has been doing already in our midst. And our great story of faith this morning is about a woman by the name of Rahab. And Rahab's story is one of those found in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, but she's also mentioned in the New Testament. And it's one of those stories for me that you read about in the Bible um, that just, well, you just wish you were left with more meat and more details to this story. Because you know, there are times that you can read a story and, and you realize there's just um, you know, so much more behind just a simple statement or a simple sentence. And it can be just one sentence, but if you just stop and pause and think, sure, there's just so much that's said in that one statement or that one sentence. And for me, the accounts of Rahab is one of those stories. And I must say, there have been some great Christian authors, notably Francine Rivers, who have written about biblical characters such as Rahab. Um, they probably felt the same as me. There's just not enough to this sentence. And they have they've taken the available biblical text, and they've written more about these characters as they perceive them. And obviously, these works are, are historical fiction, but there is great value in, in some of these novels because they make the Word of God just come alive for us and cause us to reflect more deeply on some of the simple sentences we just find there in the Scriptures and to reflect deeper on the lives of these actual people that we are reading about. Because we never must forget when we're reading the Scriptures that that's exactly that. We're reading about real people who actually lived, and they're not just fairy tales for us. And we can learn so much about them that has real application for our lives today. And for me, the story of Rahab is no exception. And the story, as I said, can be found in the book of Joshua, starting in chapter 2. And before I read that to you, I just want to give you a bit of background that brings us to this place. Um, the Israelites, as we know, the chosen people of God, they were on the verge of claiming the promised land when their faith in God just failed. And they were afraid of the power of the Canaanites, and they just refused to obey God's commands to advance and take the land. And it's their disbelief and their disobedience that resulted in this 40-year delay in the fulfillment of God's promises. And during those 40 years, the Israelites wandered in the desert until most of the adults who had left Egypt and rebelled against God died in the wilderness. And a new generation has now grown up ready to claim the land promised to their ancestors. And of the original multitude that have left Egypt, only Moses, Joshua, and Caleb have survived. And as the Israelites now approach the promised land for the second time, it seems that no one can stand against them. First, there is the king of Arad, then King Sihon of the Ammonites, then King Og of Bashan, and, and all of these kings, they're killed, their armies are annihilated, and even the five kings of Midian together, they were just unsuccessful in stopping this advancing Israelite army. And the people of God, they are now ready to claim the inheritance from God. Moses designates Joshua as the new leader of Israel, and then he passes away, and the people are now prepared to cross the last remaining barrier between them and Canaan, and that is the River Jordan, which at this time is swollen with the spring flats. And they had camped just a, a short distance from Jericho, and in that day, Jericho was the most important Canaanite fortress city in the Jordan Valley, and this walled fortress was the gateway to Canaan and a, a stronghold that now is directly in the path of the advancing Israelites. It was also one of the principal seats of idol worship and being especially devoted to Ashtaroth, the goddess of the moon. So we pick up our story from there, reading from Joshua chapter 2. 
And <clears throat> I'm going to read it, but interrupt constantly just to chat through it as we go along. Joshua chapter 2, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim and said, Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. And so they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stayed there. And just like that, we introduced to Rahab a young Canaanite prostitute. And we are given no other details about her. We don't know this woman's backstory. We don't know even how she landed up in that position. Maybe her fate had been something that had never been a choice for her. Perhaps it had been sealed by others when she was young, by her father. Um, but however this woman got there, the reality was that Rahab was a woman who had no doubt been deeply hurt and abused by others, and her profession would have cloaked her with shame rather than dignity, no matter the face that she might have portrayed to the world. We don't know anything of the emotions of pain that this woman carried, if she hated all her life, or if she had just been totally hardened to any emotion. But we do know that she was a woman who would have been a very unlikely candidate to be a heroine of faith in any story. And the two men sent by, by Joshua as spies, they spend the night at, at her home. Now, why these men chose her home, the Bible doesn't say. We do know Rahab's home was very strategically placed in the city walls, and perhaps they felt that this would be a really good place to get information, or also a really good place to keep a low profile, because strange men in a prostitute's home is hardly going to arouse any suspicion whatsoever. If so, however, their strategy didn't work so well because somebody slipped out and told the king where these spies were and why they were there. And we carry on reading in Joshua. It says, The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. And so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and she had hidden them. So it's clear that we have a woman here who's very perceptive, intelligent, and really well informed. Because she was able to identify the spies for who they were. She had chosen to hide them and had a plausible story already with which to deceive the king's men. It says, she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gates of the city were shut. So Rahab doesn't deny that these men have come to her home, but she tells them that they have left at dusk when it would have been really difficult for anyone to be sure of clearly seeing anything. And the king's men, in fact, didn't dare to stop and search her home now, because if they did, these spies could get away, especially at this, this crucial time of day when darkness is coming. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, 
and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. Now, spiritually, um, Rahab is not in an ideal circumstance to, to come to faith in the one true God, the God of Israel. I mean, she's a citizen of a really wicked city that was under God's condemnation. She was part of a corrupt, depraved pagan culture, and she hadn't benefited from the godly leadership of Moses or, or Joshua. However, Rahab had heard that the Israelites were to be feared because of their God. And notice, it's not only Rahab who has heard this and who feared the Israelites. The whole city, as it says, had already heard about their escape from Egypt, about the miraculous crossing of the Israelites through the Red Sea. And though that was about 40 years ago, that kind of miracle doesn't go unnoticed, especially after the greatest army of that time, the Egyptians, were destroyed by God. They had heard about the wanderings in the wilderness and the recent victory of the Israelites over the Amorites. But although many feared, it's possibly only Rahab who took it one step further. And she didn't let her fear drive her to, to terror and to inactivity like everyone around her. She had learned enough to reach the correct and saving conclusion for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. And her fear transformed her from being unbelieving to a believing Gentile. And she acted upon that fear. And she recognized that the God of Israel is truly the God of heaven above and on earth below. And in that faith and in the subsequent actions, putting that faith into action, it was that that saved Rahab and her family. And it says she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. So she gives these spies some excellent advice, telling them to hide in the hill country for three days before attempting to go back and cross the Jordan, and doing everything that she can to ensure that these two get safely back to the Israelite camp. Now the men said to her, this oath that you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. And so she sent them away and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. 
So the spies, now they agree to Rahab's request, but they give her three conditions that need to be met. Number one, she's got to distinguish her home from all the others by hanging the scarlet rope from the window so the Israelites would know which house it was that they needed to spare. Then her family has got to be inside the house during the battle, and she mustn't later turn on the spies. Now Rahab would have now had to share with her entire family, um, pagan family at that as well, about what was going to happen now. And she would have had to convince each and every one of them of her faith in the Lord God and his chosen people. Now, that would have been no small feat. They would have no doubt been horrified at what their daughter and sister had done and been terrified of the choices that she had now made, knowing that if anyone in Jericho found out what Rahab had done, the whole family would have been destroyed for treason. But Rahab had made a choice to trust in God Almighty and her whole family. They now had to trust her words and they had to trust her conviction that the Israelites would destroy their walled city and that those Israelites would also be trusted to honor their words and to save their lives in the process. And Rahab's conviction and her words must have been convincing enough Because when the time came for the return of the Israelites to Jericho, her family were with her in her home, and they hadn't betrayed her to her people. And it says, when they left, they went into the hills. They stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men, they started back, and they went down out of the hills, forded the river, and they came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. We jump ahead then to, to Joshua chapter 6, when the Israelites have come back, have surrounded the city, and are following out God's plans for its destruction. And picking up at verse 15 of chapter 6, it says this, On the seventh day they got up at daybreak. They marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. And the seventh time, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her home shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. And then moving on to to verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city, and they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. And so the young men who had done the spying, they went in and they brought out Rahab, her father and mother, the brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men that Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. That is a very telling line here. 
She lives among the Israelites to this day. Something changed for Rahab along the way. Where once she was designated a place outside the camp with her family, she is at some point incorporated into the camp and lived among the Israelites as one of them. Rahab's faith had enabled her to turn away from her culture, her people, and her religion, and to the Lord. And she eventually married a man from the tribe of Judah. The book of Matthew in the New Testament starts with the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ that takes us all the way from Abraham to Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. And among this predominantly patriarchal affair, there are only five women who are mentioned in that list. And the second woman mentioned here is Rahab. Matthew 1 verse 5, it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. So Rahab's husband became the tribal leader of Judah, Salmon, and their marriage gave birth to Boaz. That would eventually lead to the birth of King David. So a prostitute from Jericho placed her faith in the Lord God, God in heaven above and earth below, and became the great, great grandmother of King David. And from the line of King David of the tribe of Judah, as we know, came the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Friends, I just want to leave you this morning with four very short lessons from the story of Rahab. And I know there's so much that we can learn from this, but there are just four things that I want to leave you with that have been, I think, challenging for me. And the very first one is that man looks at the external appearance, but God looks at the heart. People looked and saw a prostitute and treated her accordingly. But God knows his people, wherever they are, even when they are inside the walls of a pagan city in a pagan culture. God truly knew Rahab drew her to himself, and gave her an opportunity to be grafted into his people. And how many people have you judged by outward appearances and so added to their shame? I think we can all identify people in our worlds that we view through tainted eyes based on our outward perceptions. And the first lesson that Rahab teaches me is to see people with the potential that God does. And to also have extraordinary hope in the power of God to transform lives. So if there are family members or friends who are very dear to you that you feel are so far from God because of the outward appearance of their lives, I want to encourage you today to pray for them with hope and to pray for them with conviction because there is no life outside of the power of God to transform. And we need to ask God for the grace and the discernment as his people to see people through his eyes and not our own eyes of judgment. And may the Holy Spirit give us the ability to really see into the hearts of people. And then secondly, true faith requires and is shown in our actions. Rahab only heard the stories of how the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, but even only hearing them, she came to a point to believe that these reports were true. She didn't just believe that God really did exist, but she developed the faith that God is the most powerful being who would be able to protect her 
and to protect her family from the sure destruction that would fall in the city of Jericho. And she may have been a prostitute, but she acted with more faith than many of the Israelites in the camp who had actually seen the miracles of God daily with their own eyes. Many of them had seen the pillar of fire, the cloud leading them across the desert, provision of water streaming from rock, manna from heaven, and still didn't have the faith that this woman had. Rahab could have placed her trust in the great and strong walls of Jericho. She could have just dismissed the power of God who is able to defeat foes even mightier than the Israelites. She could have betrayed the two spies, turned them over to the king's soldiers, but she didn't. And she chose to place her faith in this God. And the Bible tells us that she had a faith that was backed up by her actions. Because in her faith and in her actions, she risked her life to help the Jewish spies to leave the city unharmed. And because of that faith, she and her family were spared when the walls came tumbling down. And her name is recorded in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that great annals of faith there, which starts with, faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. And in verse 31 of Hebrews 11, it said, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient and unbelieving. And I was just thinking, too, you know, when the spies left Rahab's home, they left her with very clear instructions on what she had to do in order for her household to be saved. And that the specific thing that she had to do was to put a scarlet cord out of her window. And friends, the Bible gives us two very clear instructions on what we need to do to be saved. We need to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. That is our scarlet cord. John 6.40 says, Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. But then we need to go on to live in a manner that verifies that our faith is real. Our faith needs to be reflected in our actions. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says, God is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then the following verses later say, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And so then make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Our faith needs to be reflected in our actions. And then God is ready, number three, to forgive all of our sins. Friends, we have a very merciful God that we serve. And I was given this lovely mug for my birthday. And on the front of the mug, it says the cup of sunshine. And it's this beautiful cherry sort of yellow mug. And I've gotten into the habit of of sitting outside in the morning with my cup of sunshine filled with coffee, watching my little puppy Precious playing. And at the bottom of the cup, as I take that last sip, what appears at the bottom of the cup are some words from Lamentations 3.23, which say, His mercies are new every morning. And just a beautiful reminder for me every morning as I'm drinking that of that absolute truth, that because of the Lord's great love for us, we are not consumed because His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
Now, as we said before, we know the city of Jericho was a, a prominent place of idol worship, that Rahab would have lived in the midst of the vilest, most abominable Canaanite religions. No doubt was probably even part of that at some point. There's no doubt she lived a sinful life. Nevertheless, she had the faith to believe that God was able to forgive her of the many sins that she had committed. There is no sin that is so great that God cannot forgive. And it saddens me when I hear people say that they cannot be part of our church community because they are too much of a black sheep or that God would never want them to be part of his kingdom. Because, friends, we know that is not the truth and that is a lie because God's mercy extends to all people and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the whole of humanity and not just a select few. And through the mercy of God, Rahab was given an opportunity to repent of her sins and to turn her life the other way around. And she didn't just ask for forgiveness, but she showed her repentant attitude by turning away from the society, the culture, and the way of life that she had known all of her life. Friends, there's no reason for us to run away from God when we sin and our shame consumes us. We need to rather run towards God and to ask him for his forgiveness, just like Rahab did. And then lastly, God is not limited by our past. And aren't we so grateful for that truth? I think Rahab is the beautiful example of how God can use any life that is willing. She was no longer viewed as an unclean prostitute, but as one who was worthy by grace to be part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see in her life that amazing grace of God. But how often do we look back at our own lives and wonder how on earth God could possibly use us? But the truth is that that is one of, again, another lie that is whispered into our minds because God is never limited by our past. In fact, the Bible describes our new life in him as a clean slate. Our pasts are literally blotted out. They are no more. And more often than not, because of his grace, God will use whatever we've been through in life to bring about his glory and his purposes. We are all people with a past, but we are also all people to whom God has given a future, if we will just reach out in faith, like Rahab. And that, friends, is the message of hope that we have the privilege of being able to share with our world. Our God looks at the heart. Our God calls us to faith in him, a faith that is evidenced in our actions. And our God is ready and waiting to forgive all of our sins. We must never be deceived into thinking that our sins exclude us from the love and grace of God because God is not a God who is limited by our past. If we will reach out in faith and trust in him, we will be amazed at the future that he opens up for us, for his kingdom and for his glory. I'm going to ask the worship team just to, to come up front because I think it would be I think very important and very powerful for us to close our time together by just proclaiming that truth out as a body. And there's one of the songs we sang there, um, David Crowder's special here, All My Hope Is In Jesus. Thank God that yesterday is gone. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. I'm no stranger to prison. I've borne shackles and change, but I've been freed and forgiven, and I'm not going back. 
I'll never be the same. And that's why I sing, all my hope is in Jesus. Thank God that yesterday is gone. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. And so I'm going to ask Trevor just to just quietly play that tune for us before we start singing, Shul. And just I want to give you some space as the music's just quietly playing, as he plays that song there too, just for you to take some time out to respond to God personally. So as, as Trev just plays the tune, why don't you all just bow your heads in prayer. And this is your opportunity to, to respond to what the Spirit of God is saying to you at this moment. And before you get to sing those words, let's give you an opportunity to authentically respond to God. Perhaps this morning there's something you need to bring before Him. Perhaps there's a, a shame that you've been holding on to that God is wanting to set you free from today. And perhaps there's some past forgiven sins that you need to be reminded of are just that. They're past and forgiven. Perhaps there's some people in your family or friends that you've been reminded of today, reminded of to lift them before God in, in hope and conviction, believing God can do immeasurably more in their lives than you've even thought possible. Whatever it might be, let's just give you some time to to respond as it appropriate to you, as the Spirit ministers to you today. And then we're going to close our time together by just standing and singing that song when we're ready.
we're going to go now and just enjoy some good fellowship together. But if there's anyone here who would just like some further ministry or prayer, we want to invite you to just come and slip down to the front as everyone's going out. And we'd be privileged to be able to, to minister with you and pray for you. Thank you very much. May the Lord bless you and keep you and give you a very special week as you radiate your faith with your actions.